conservative? You bet. Controversial? Right again. It's time to squabble on the Jim Benson Show. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Jim Benson Show. Conservative talk radio covering the issues that concern you here on the BBS radio network. When you contemplate the level of corruption in our government and private sector, it can make you physically ill. It's appalling, and too few Americans realize the extent to which communist China has infiltrated and corrupted so many people, including many at the highest levels of our government and businesses. I was among those ignorant Americans myself until the coup of last November that removed Donald Trump from office. Trump was, and still is, I would imagine, perceived as a serious threat to the fortunes and power of the globalists, oligarchs, politicians, judges, and others who have enjoyed and or been intimidated by the money and influence of communist China. Intimidation Extortion, payoffs, and other enticements are the way the CCP gains influence with powerful people here and elsewhere in the West. Some examples would be the CCP female honeypot spy allegedly involved with leftist California government – I'm sorry, leftist California Democrat congressman and fanatical Trump critic Eric Swalwell and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger's brother who has a well-paid job with a subsidiary of Huawei, the CCP telecom giant banned from doing business in the USA due to suspected espionage. Nothing for me typifies the revolting corruption at the highest levels of our government than the recent disclosure, if true, by Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward, a left-wing ideologue and hack from the Watergate era, and Robert Costa in their forthcoming book titled Peril, in which they reportedly disclosed that General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, made secret phone calls to his counterpart in the People's Liberation Army in October 2020 and January 2021, assuring the top Chinese communist general, Li Zuxing, that the U.S. political situation was stable and if then-President Donald Trump were planning to attack the People's Republic of China, Milley would warn his counterpart beforehand. Milley reputedly made these calls behind Trump's back and without his knowledge. If true, I agree with those calling these acts treason. Not that any of us really seriously believe Trump would attack China because he was upset about losing the election, but this is what the left tries to portray him as. According to excerpts from the book, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called Milley to ask if Milley had control of U.S. nuclear weapons because Trump, she said, was obviously crazy. Milley reportedly assured Pelosi that he, Milley, agreed with everything Pelosi said. As I said, this is so typical of Democrat, Rhino, that's Republican in name only, and or political left establishments publicly expressed views of Trump that he is a danger to America and the world, that he is unstable and unfit to hold public office. And so it was obvious to me that the establishment, with its trillions of dollars in lucrative business deals and bribes from the CCP, 
as pro-Trump lawyer and former federal prosecutor Sidney Powell has pointed out, had decided Trump had to go. And when all the hatred and lies they spewed out all during Trump's term had failed to convince enough of the American public to turn him out of office, a long-planned, carefully orchestrated, and treasonous conspiracy was set in motion to steal the election and install Joe Biden in the White House. And not only did the plotters and their many supporters succeed in removing Trump and installing Biden, but they then covered it up, aided and abetted by our corrupt left-wing mainstream media, big big tech tyrants, many public officials, and even much of our judiciary right up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Let's get some reaction to Milley's alleged actions with his Chinese counterpart from some prominent conservative commentators. And I say alleged because, as I understand it, the book is based on hundreds of anonymous sources. (laughs) General Milley, by the way, is slated to testify about the book's claims later this month before Congress. First, here's some audio from a podcast by Dr. Steve Turley, September 15th. Play sound by one, please. As I'm sure you all know by now, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley is going to have to answer bombshell revelations that he twice, not once, but twice secretly contacted Chinese officials over concerns that President Trump could spark a war with China, all the while holding top secret meetings to block Trump's nuke access and instructed his staff to disobey all but his orders. The stunning revelations are from a new book by Bob Woodward and Robert Coster called Peril, and the relevant excerpt was published the other day in the Washington Post. Perhaps most shocking of all is that according to the Woodward and Coster report, Milley went so far as to pledge to his Chinese counterpart that he would actually go so far as to alert China in the event of an American attack and that his office would serve as a back channel for communication in the case of such a scenario, promising that such an attack would, quote, not be a surprise. According to the report, quote, Milley also summoned senior officers to review the procedures for launching nuclear weapons, saying the president alone could give the order, but crucially that he, Milley, also had to be involved. Looking each in the eye, Milley asked the officer to affirm that they had understood the author's right, in what he considered an oath. Now, the fallout from these bombshell revelations is only just the beginning. President Trump weighed in as only he could. He called Milley a, quote, dumbass, who, if these charges are true, should be tried for treason. Senator Rand Paul has gone a step further, saying Milley should be court-martialed if he actually committed the very acts he's been accused of. In the meantime, calls for his immediate resignation are flooding D.C. And Senator Marco Rubio has issued a formal demand for Biden to fire Milley on the spot in light of these revelations. There are reports today of an uprising among military brass to get rid of Milley. Jack Posobiec is reporting that his sources are telling him that several Pentagon officers present in Milley's secret meeting are willing to testify against him under oath. Things are so bad for Milley right now, if you can believe it. He's even lost Vindman. Remember Alexander Vindman? How he testified in the impeachment hearings, right? The first that tried to get rid of Trump. Even this moron is calling on Milley to resign. I mean, it doesn't get worse than that. When you lose this guy, you have, by definition, lost the deep state. There's no way around that. Now, obviously, many are calling it a coup. 
Um, it's not a coup attempt. This was, if the charges were true, this was a successful subversion of a duly elected president's policies by an American military officer. And if you can believe it, and unfortunately we can, you do have some apologists for Milley. They're, of course, all on the left. Salon is actually trying to pivot all of this in such a way that puts Republicans on the defensive. They're asking, how many Republicans, along with General Milley, knew or thought that Trump was mentally unstable, but decided to go along with him for political purposes anyway? Hmm? I mean, they literally quote a former Republican representative and underline that term, former They quote this rhino who said that, well, she can understand why Milley tried to prevent Trump from exercising his nuclear launch authority. She, too, as many of her Republican colleagues supposedly thought, she, too, thought that Trump was mentally unstable. Again, this is why we can celebrate that this person is now a former Republican representative, right? But what she and these far leftists over at Salon are saying is absolutely unintelligible from a constitutional vantage point. As National Review pointed out, there is no circumstance, there is no conceivable circumstance in which an American military officer is free to conduct his own rogue foreign policy without informing civilian leadership. Trump derangement syndrome runs so deep among these corporatist globalists that they are actually justifying a military dictatorship in the wake of their hatred for Trump. If these charges are true, what Milley did strikes at the very heart of our democratic constitutional system in which a duly elected president makes foreign policy decisions. And these people, these rhinos and these leftists are okay with that assault. Let that hit you. If an officer has a moral problem with carrying out an order, he can choose to resign. He can go public, choosing his moral duty as a citizen over his duty as an officer, but he can't do it as an officer. An officer's job is to carry out the commands of the civilian elected commander-in-chief. So there's no possible constitutional scenario imaginable where Mark Milley's actions could be justified. Now, here's the audio from a video titled Treason by Greg Reese of Infowar.com's Band.video. The political left considers Infowars extremists. Well, they consider all people on the right extremists, but particularly him for wars, and condemn its content as false. But I find much of what they discuss and contend to be interesting, at times quite entertaining, and at least worth considering based on the facts presented. Please play soundbite two. According to the newly released book, Peril, by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa, General Mark Milley of the Joint Chiefs of Staff committed treason. On October 30th of 2020, he made a top-secret phone call to General Lee of the Communist Chinese Party, assuring him that the U.S. was not going to attack China, and if they ever planned to, he would call ahead of time and let them know. Milley made a second top-secret call on January 8th of 2021, telling his communist handlers that Trump was unstable and made assurances that nothing would happen. That same day, Milley called a secret emergency meeting at the Pentagon, ordering his subordinates to disobey any orders from the President of the United States without his presence. This is a U.S. general at one of the highest levels of our military, working secretly with the Communist Chinese to undermine the lawfully elected President of the United States, working secretly with the CCP 
a regime that runs death camps and genocides its own people. Now there is no doubt why he pushes critical race theory, a CCP subversion technique, and plans on purging the military. He works for the communist Chinese. This is treason at the highest level, in a reasonable world punishable by death. And there is no shortage of domestic enemies in America today. I would call General Milley a hero. Um, he, he behaved in a heroic manner. But what he did was ensure the guardrails were in place. So I give him high marks for this based on what's described in the book. I think Milley felt ill-used by the episode on Lafayette Square when he was used as a prop. So one can understand Milley's anxieties. We were in a period of extraordinary danger. I think uh, General Milley is going to be treated very favorably by history. And just weeks ago, China was unlawfully sending battleships, including their most lethal, off the coast of Alaska. Will anyone be warning the U.S. of a CCP invasion? Are there any patriots left in the Pentagon? Former Navy intelligence officer Jack Posobiec claims that several Pentagon officers who were present in Milley's secret meeting are now willing to testify against him under oath. If there is to be any purge of the military, it is only fitting that it should begin with General Mark Milley. For Infowars.com, this is Greg Reese. Finally, here's commentary by radio and television host Mark Levin, appearing on Fox's Hannity television show, also on September 15th. Levin has a new book out titled American Marxism, which has become a, a bestseller. Play sound by three, please. Writers are reporting that he undermined a duly elected commander in chief, promising to provide one of our country's most serious enemies with advance notice should we need to attack them. Now, tonight, many are wondering if this is true. Is this treason? Will Milley be punished? Will he be tried, court-martialed? Uh, anyway, should he ever be trusted again? Here with his take on all of this. We call him the great one for a reason. Eight consecutive weeks. Number one, New York Times bestseller. Uh, now over a million copies sold. It's called American Marxism. Call him the great one, Mark Levin. Also Life, Liberty, and Levin. Mark, I'll let you take it from here on General Milley. Well, we're experiencing American Marxism, aren't we? A couple of things here, Sean. Number one, Woodward and Costa are reporters for the Washington Post. It takes two and a half to three months to print a book. That means Woodward and Costa and the Washington Post, if this is true, sat on this story for months and months. Why would two reporters sit on a story like this for months and months and allow this man, who I believe, if this is true, is utterly unhinged, to serve as the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You have two so-called journalists who sat on this for two or three months. A news story. They're journalists. I'm not. Why would they do something like that? You know why, Sean? This is what Woodward does. They drop this before the Sunday, before his books are released. They get everybody worked up and stirred up. Maybe they should be. Maybe they shouldn't. He'll be on all the Sunday shows. So he and Costa, two so-called reporters, can make millions of dollars off this book. And what does this book do? It's certainly in the front end. It attempts to trash President Trump. Let's take a look very briefly at this. So people should boycott this book. People should not reward these people at all for their conduct as so-called journalists. Journalism is corrupt and it's dead in this country. But let's look at the story. First of all, it says in the middle of the story, 
peril, the author says, based on interviews with more than 200 people conducted on the condition they not be named as sources. Who the hell writes a book with 200 anonymous sources? 200? Well, we have the tapes. We have the notes. Yeah, but we don't. The American people, this is our country. Don't we get to make a judgment about these things? It's not about Woodward, Costa, and the Washington Post. What kind of a news organization is this? And if this did happen, it's big news. I've spent my life studying and defending the Constitution of the United States. You have here Mark Milley, not once but twice, before the election and after, contacts the head of the communist military in China, our number one enemy. And the first time he does it, it's based on he's concerned China's worried our military exercises in the South China Sea uh, deepened by Trump's belligerent rhetoric toward China. So he calls China around the back of the commander in chief and tells them, don't worry about him. I have him under control pretty much. What is what? And then after the election, he calls and he says, quote, General Lee, you and I have known each other for now five years. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. I'm not going to be it's not going to be a surprise. If the United States military, just theoretically, is going to attack China, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff knows every step of it. He's going to tell the enemy. If that's true, this SOB needs to be out of there as fast as possible without a debate. What else does he do? He basically, according to this article, if it's true, he tells his subordinate officers basically to take an oath of loyalty to him. To him. What else does he do? He conspires with the head of the CIA who's worried about a right wing coup. All this talk about right wing coups. Russia collusion, criminal investigations of a sitting president, two impeachments, one of a sitting president, one of the ex-president when he's left office, going after tax returns, trying to destroy. We know what a coup looks like. We sat for it for the last five years. And what else? The head of the Joint Chiefs is collaborating with the head of the opposition party, Pelosi and Schumer. So he's collaborated, according to this story, with the communist Chinese military, with the head of the Democrats in the House, with the head of the Democrats in the Senate, he's got subordinate generals and others who he, according to this story, gets allegiances from them. And the two reporters on the story sit on this for months and months and months so they can make a buck on a book. Wouldn't it have been good to know about Millie before what happened in Afghanistan so his ass could have been kicked out of office? So we could get a, a general in there, like a George S. Patton type, who wouldn't leave American citizens in enemy territory, who wouldn't leave patriotic Afghans in enemy territory, who are being hunted down and killed as I speak, with $85 billion of our equipment, General Milley, probably the worst general we've ever had. If this story is true, and if the story is false, my God, General Milley, you're going to own the Washington Post. Why don't you come out and tell the American people everything? And America, boycott these two journalists, boycott their book. They shouldn't make millions of dollars sitting on a story, if true, that we the people had a right to know, that the military had a right to know before Afghanistan. A pop on all their houses. And let's be clear. Yes, they were. All of them. After President Donald Trump. It's the most disgusting thing I've seen in my life. From the intelligence agencies, to the Defense Department, to the FBI, to the Democrats, to the media. How sickening. You want to see a coup? There were your attempted coups. 
I'm done. For some more perspective on Pelosi and possible motivation for her contention that Trump is crazy, let's listen to some audio from a video clip of an interview with Peter Schweitzer, author of the book Profiles in Corruption, by Fox's Sunday Morning Futures show host Maria Bartiromo, which was carried on RealClearPolitics.com last December 20. In this interview, Schweitzer is telling Bartiromo that Nancy Pelosi, then-Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and others want to suppress revelations about the contents of the abandoned laptop computer of Joe Biden's son, Hunter, which detail extensive business dealings with CCP entities along with those of other countries. Play soundbite four, please. Yeah, Maria, there's a lot of powerful people in Washington, D.C. who want the Hunter Biden story to go away because it has potentially direct implications on themselves. All you have to do is look at the very top of the legislative body in the United States. If you look at the leader of the Senate, um, uh, Mitch McConnell and his wife, Elaine Chow, uh, Elaine Chow's family owns a shipping business. Unlike the Bidens, it's actually a legitimate business. But the fact of the matter is that shipping business has its ship purchases financed by the Chinese government. Its ships are constructed by the Chinese government. Its crews are raised by the Chinese government. And most of its contracts are shipping goods goods from Chinese state-owned enterprises around the Pacific. So if Mitch McConnell were to do something the Chinese didn't like, uh, they could destroy that family business. Flip over to the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, her husband, Paul Pelosi, has done a series of deals in mainland China that are directly related to the Chinese government and are part of the fact that the Chinese are trying to curry favor with high-ranking uh, politicians in the United States. Uh, you can add Diane Fein. Einstein. Uh, her husband, Richard Blum, has been doing deals for 25 years on mainland China and has benefited from private meetings that Senator Feinstein and her husband had with the highest levels. Look, the bottom line is the Chinese government has had a strategy. They've used it in Australia, New Zealand, in Singapore, and they're going to try to use it in the United States as well, where they effectively decapitate our political leadership by giving sweetheart deals to the family members of our political class thereby neutering them, making them less critical of the Chinese government. And the question is, are we going to do something about wow. it? Or are we going to just let it pass? This is all very disturbing, Peter. It's great to have you on this morning. I commit to my audience right here, right now, that I will not let up the spotlight on this behavior. Maria Bartiromo, you might be interested to know, is one of several journalists at Fox along with the network itself, being sued for billions of dollars by Dominion Voting Systems over their reporting on allegations of election fraud in 2020. Attorney Lynn Wood has said he believes the law firm representing Dominion in these lawsuits is being paid by Microsoft founder and former CEO Bill Gates. To get a little more, to get a little more detail on Nancy Pelosi's relationship with communist China, I want to quote from some information presented about Nancy, her husband Paul, and her son, also named Paul, Paul Pelosi, on the website tigerdroppings.com. At this time, I'm unable to confirm the veracity of these claims and statements made on the website, but if I'm incorrect, I'll be glad to issue a retraction. Now, the website says these quotes are from an article uh, from AND Magazine. This was published by TigerDroppings.com, I believe, back on um, 
well, this was, it was posted on the in April of 2020, so some time ago. But anyway, the website begins by stating that Nancy Pelosi is owned by communist China and is also an insider trading crook. And um, these quotes begin, Pelosi may present herself as the defender of the little guy. She is anything but. In 2018, her net worth was roughly $160 million. She is married to Paul Pelosi, who runs a top-tier investment and real estate firm in San Francisco. Over the course of decades, as Nancy has risen through the ranks of the Democratic Party, the Pelosi's have gotten fabulously wealthy. There's also been an almost unending number of allegations that Paul Pelosi has benefited from what is known as insider trading. That is, he has made sometimes enormous purchases of stocks based on information allegedly provided to him by Nancy, who was privy to sensitive non-public information by way of her position. The most recent examples occurred earlier this year. Nancy Pelosi had meetings in mid-February where she was handed secret information about the coronavirus and the rest of the country was not given. Immediately following these those meetings, Paul Pelosi made massive purchases of stocks in tech companies in which he had not previously invested. All those companies have since substantially outperformed the market, and Pelosi has made huge profits. And the article continues, the quotes continue. In 2014, Paul Pelosi invested in a company called Sun Edison Solar Energy. Shortly thereafter, with the assistance of his wife, Sun Edison received $1 billion in federal subsidies. There is something else at work here, however. Paul Pelosi does not just buy and sell commercial real estate. He doesn't just cash in on his wife's influence and privileged status. He invests, and much of that investment is in Asia generally and China specifically. Nancy Pelosi has long condemned the outsourcing of manufacturing jobs to foreign countries by American corporations. But the Pelosi investment portfolio contains no investments in any domestic manufacturing companies. Instead, it has extensive holdings in dozens of companies such as Cisco, Sun Microsystems, Apogee Networks, and NetClerk that outsource jobs and have non-unionized workforces. According to her 2011 financial disclosure statement, Pelosi received between $1 million and $5 million in partnership income from Matthews International Capital Management, LLC a group which brags about its, quote, singular focus on investing in Asia, unquote. Paul Pelosi was listed as one of the directors of Matthews International Capital when it was formed in 2010. Funds, funds managed by the company include the Asian Growth and Income Fund, the China Dividend Fund, the Pacific Tiger Fund, and the China Fund. The description of the Matthews, of the Matthews Capital Fund reads in part, Quote, Under normal market conditions, the Matthews China Fund seeks to achieve its investment objective by investing at least 80% of its net assets, which include borrowing from investment for investment purposes, in the common and preferred stocks of companies located in China. Close quote. The most recent SEC report for Matthews International shows huge stock holdings in China companies like Bilbil, China Mobile, Huazhou Gru. Welbo and Yum China Holdings. Matthews has $24 billion in investments under management. Paul Pelosi's longtime business partner in San Francisco investment is San Francisco investment banker William Hambrecht. At various points, 
Paul has had holdings in at least a half dozen companies tied to Hambrick's investment banking firm, W.R. Hambrick & Company. Hambrick has also been invited more than once to Washington, D.C. by Nancy Pelosi and introduced by her as an economic expert. Nancy and Paul's son, Paul Jr., worked for Hambrick for several years. W.R. Hambrick specializes in Asian investments and earned Paul Pelosi somewhere from $100,000 to $1 million in, in income in 2011. As of that date, Paul Pelosi also maintained a brokerage account with Hambrick's firm worth $500,000 to $1 million. The Pelosi's are America's 21st century 1%. They have not gotten wealthy building industries here or employing Americans. They have gotten rich by betting on the rising economy of a totalitarian communist regime and a globalist agenda that consigns the average American to irrelevance. End of quotes. Presented by that website. Sidney Powell, who along with other prominent Americans, have made claims of 2020 election fraud and is being sued by Dominion Voting Machines, Dominion, actually the voting machine maker and operator of Dominion Voting Systems, for more than a billion dollars, has established a website, DefendingTheRepublic.org. On that site, Powell has recently published an article detailing how Nancy Pelosi, no doubt at the behest of her handlers, beat pro-Trump forces to the punch on January 6, 2021 by rushing through the counting of electoral votes and installing Joe Biden to the White House before a hoped-for Supreme Court injunction could have been imposed and possibly changed the course of history. The article written by Powell is titled, The Untold Election Case That Could Have Stopped the Coup, Why Nancy Pelosi Had to Hurry on January 6. It begins, quote, among other conservatives that stood up for President Trump amidst the theft of the 2020 election, the legal team that became defending the republic changed election results, challenged our election results in multiple states and produced hundreds of pages of evidence of widespread election fraud. The left's mantra of no evidence is pure propaganda. As the world watched, our four fraud cases across the disputed states were dismissed by each of four federal judges. The courts threw out the cases on the Democrats' talking points, technicalities, many of which were pulled from the dustbin of legal history. Not a single of our cases was heard, despite hundreds of affidavits, statistical studies proving mathematical impossibilities, disappearance of male ballots, mysterious appearances of perfect ballots, evidence of technological manipulation of the vote, and even video of women pulling suitcases from under tables after a staged pipe burst evacuation and a ballot worker shoving the same ballots through the machines repeatedly, coinciding with an impossible spike in votes, all for Biden. All this was set against a backdrop of an unprecedented and inex... I'm sorry, hold on a moment, I had a little bit of a glitch here. All this was set against a backdrop of an unprecedented and inexplicable stoppage of vote counting across multiple states followed by the appearance of hundreds of thousands of votes in block injections for Biden, somehow overcoming, by a slim margin, what was previously a massive shortage of Biden votes. It appeared the courts were afraid to hear the cases. Americans who had counted on our Article Three courts, uh, she's referring to the uh, constitutional uh, description of uh, our judicial system, 
Americans who had counted on our Article Three courts to take up these issues to protect the republic and the constitution were left to wonder if this was the law, cowardice, or corruption in the courts. The entire Article Three judiciary put its collective head in the sand on the most important issue to face the republic. This was a constitutional crisis. We had one silver bullet that made them all panic. Our fifth and final election law case did not challenge the election of any single state. Instead, it raised a constitutional challenge to the Electoral Count Act itself. The Electoral Count Act was passed by Congress in 1887 and sought to alter the effect of the 12th Amendment of the United States Constitution. The 12th Amendment provides that in a disputed election, the vice president would shift the determination of the election to the House, where the House of Representatives chooses the president by one vote per state delegation. A fitting design, as House members are elected every two years and therefore subjected, subject to their constituents' viewpoints more directly than senators with six-year terms. The Electoral Count Act shifted the ter- determination of the election away from the House to a bicameral process. Under the 12th Amendment's one-vote-per-state delegation, a 20, in 2020, Republicans had a substantial lead with 27 states where Republicans outnumbered Democrats, three states where representation was tied, and 20 states where Democrats led. If the 12th Amendment, apl- Amendment applied, Trump may or may not have been have, – have won, may or may not have won outright as some Republicans opposed him. However, as long as Biden were denied the majority of states – then Pence would have been the victor, and in either case, Biden would have properly been denied the presidency. Our case, Lewis Gomert et al., applicants v. Michael R. Pence, vice president of the United States, challenged use of the electoral count as unconstitutional. Our filing was immediately brought to the attention of Nancy Pelosi, who sought to become party and oppose us. But Reps McCarthy and Scalise opposed her in an internal House leadership vote. McCarthy and Scalise supported Gomert and the application of the 12th Amendment. Republican leadership's opposition prevented Pelosi from being able to join as a party to the lawsuit. So instead, she was forced to file an amicus brief. That's a friend of the court. We filed for an injunction at SCOTUS, that's the Supreme Court of the United States, on January 6th, the day of the electoral count. We filed electronically and had a congressman deliver the paper filing required by SCOTUS. The congressman was turned back by Capitol Hill police due to the unrest. We succeeded in getting the case docketed at 3.51 p.m. on January 6th. Given Pelosi's participation as amicus, she would receive notice of the Gomert filing for an injunction with the Supreme Court. She would understand that Justice Alito could alone enter an injunction against use of the Electoral Count Act because he is the circuit justice for Louis Gomert's district. Abandoning any concern for mass COVID infection from the deplorables in the Capitol, that was the day of the riots, of course, you know, Pelosi fired her political kill shot. She shockingly announced at 6.30 p.m. that members would resume the count at 8 p.m. Remember, they had broken up because of a shooting and the unrest there in the Capitol building. Just hours after Michael Byrd killed Ashley Babbitt and demonstrators were still in the Capitol. While Vice President Pence presided over the ceremony, curiously, it was Pelosi herself who announced counting would resume. At 8 p.m., the process promptly resumed. Objections failed to prevent Biden's election. 
and the joint session was dissolved by Pence at 3.44 a.m. Notably, Pelosi's rush to restart at 8 p.m. did not prevent the process continuation to January 7th. Members could have gone home to rest and resume the vote early in the morning without losing a day. In other words, nothing would have changed regarding the date of the con- completion of the count. The absurdity of driving Congress to complete a process amidst such unrest was driven by something entirely different. Speaker Pelosi had to act quickly to prevent Justice Alito from enjoining application of the Electoral Count Act and throwing a big wrench in the Democrats' coup. The next morning, with no comment, SCOTUS denied the injunction without prejudice. A rapid response, as Pelosi had already beaten the court to it. Had Pelosi not rushed the outcome of the case, rushed the outcome of the case, the, I'm sorry, had not rushed the outcome, the case could have been different, and the president as well. End quote. So Pelosi's reputed claim that Donald Trump is crazy should be met with extreme skepticism, to say the least. In light of what we've just presented here, it's obvious that Pelosi would have an ulterior motive for making such a bizarre claim and working so feverishly to remove Trump of office. Wouldn't you agree? One of the biggest cheerleaders for communist China among, and among the top oligarchs in the world is the far-left billionaire George Soros, the former Georgi Swartz of Hungary, the country of his birth where he's been declared an enemy of the state. Soros, an arch-enemy of President Trump, declared before the World Economic Forum some years ago that he, Soros, considered Trump a danger to the world, but only a temporary phenomenon who would disappear after 2020, if not sooner. Soros has had enormous financial investments in communist China and has said that China must lead the new world order. Soros, through his network of supposedly charitable foundations, funds almost every left-wing organization operating in America and many abroad. He was instrumental in promoting voting activities such as fraud-prone mail-in ballots, which helped Democrat candidates, especially Joe Biden. Suddenly, lately, Soros has been making statements and writing articles highly critical of communist China, the country he has been such a cheerleader for in the past. Why would this be? Well, one explanation is offered by commentator David Zhang on his video broadcast Talking Points. Zhang is a shrewd and knowledgeable observer of communist China and recently has been presenting material on the CCP's efforts to use propaganda and psychological operations to sow division and chaos in the West, particularly in the United States. On a recent show, Zhang pointed out These anti-China declarations by Soros are an example of what Zhang sees as Soros and possibly some other oligarchs beginning to become disillusioned with China. Zhang states that instead of these globalist oligarchs thinking that they have been using the CCP to further their ambitions for a world government model on communist China, but incredibly with them – that is the oligarchs and the globalists – maintaining their wealth and power. They are starting to realize that it has been actually communist China that has been using them to further the CCP's goal of dominating the world in the coming years. I'm not sure I agree with Zhang's assessment of these globalists' possible change of heart, given the continuing headlong rush of Western businesses to invest and profit from lucrative deals with the CCP. 
But it would be nice to think that at least some of these insane people are beginning to open their eyes. All they have to do is look at CCP's harsh crackdown on Jack Ma, one of the first mainland China billionaires, who recently had been critical of the CCP for being too restrictive on entrepreneurs. The CCP responded by abruptly preventing a major initial public stock offering for Ma's ant group and fining Ma's company's billions of Chinese yuan. Ma himself is shown on an internet video telling an associate that he'd been poisoned and almost died. Ma then disappeared for a couple of months. Since reappearing, he's been very quiet publicly, and his companies, in reality the CCP's companies, have been profusely apologetic and thankful to the CCP for ostensibly showing them the error of their ways. The CCP is also currently cracking down on rising entertainment celebrities in mainland China who become too, too independent of the party line by, as I understand it, removing them from their social media platforms and confiscating their personal wealth. I know I keep saying this on this program, but when I see all these CCP crackdowns amid the crush of American and other Western corporations rushing to take advantage of highly profitable business deals offered by the CCP, I'm again reminded of the murderous Soviet communist dictator Vladimir Lenin's infamous statement that when it comes time to hang the capitalists, they'll be eager to sell the communists the rope. Moving on to the election integrity fight across the country, the long-awaited Arizona forensic audit report, incomplete as it is because election officials there are still refusing, despite court and state senate orders and subpoenas, to hand over voting equipment, routers, passwords, and other information. But the report is due out, due to be made public at the end of this week. Keep an eye out for that. Also, results of a grassroots voter canvassing project headed by Arizona realtor Liz Harris were released earlier this month, and they are shocking. Harris, whose statistical methods and sampling have been praised by election data analyst Seth Keschel, reported that her canvassing teams interviewed thousands of Arizona voters and, via extrapolation, determined that more than 173,000 votes are missing. That's votes in the 2020 election. And nearly 100,000 more fraudulent votes were cast in that election. In her September 8 report on the canvassing, Harris states, quote, Two primary categories of ineligible ballots and election mishandling, encompassing hundreds of thousands of votes, render the 2020 general election in Maricopa County uncertifiable. An estimated 173,104 votes are missing or lost as reported to our volunteers who went door-to-door verifying registration and voting information for thousands of residents. These are American citizens living in Maricopa County who cast a vote, primarily by mail, in the election, and yet there is no record of their vote with the county, and it was not counted in the reported vote totals for the election. Additionally, an estimated 96,389 mail-in votes were cast onto the names of registered voters who were either unknown to the residents of the registration address or who were verified as having moved away prior to October 2020. Other irregularities were uncovered during the canvas at a smaller scale, including votes cast by mail from vacant lots, votes recorded from residents who had not actually voted, etc. These results are a travesty to our democracy and our voting rights. End quote. Here's some audio from a recent podcast by election fraud warrior and multimillionaire inventor and businessman, Jovan Hudson Pulitzer, about the Arizona Canvas Project. 
Please play soundbite five. Okay, guys, so we're talking about the canvassing in Maricopa. And I explained to you that when the canvassers knocked on door, it's got to be a real person. It is a real voter registered, says they voted in the election. They literally then go and knock on these doors, thousands of people. And the finding that canvas queen Liz Harris and her incredible team found that one out of three people that answered, I voted and I voted in person, there wasn't a vote for them voting in person. You know what there was? There was a vote for them voting by mail. I want that to sink in. You would know if, in fact, you voted and how you voted, whether you mailed it in or whether you went in. If you ask a few people, there could probably be some discrepancies. But thousands of people, and one out of three people that said, I voted, and the way I voted was I went in and voted, when they checked the records, there is not a recorded in-person vote for them, but there is a mail-in vote for them. Now, I'm going to tie this back to one of my listeners, Jomo. Jomo posted this about three minutes ago in the broadcast, and I'm going to read it. Jovan, hello from Georgia. I was visited, meaning pre-canvassed, before the election, ready? I was visited pre-canvassed by two 20-somethings, a male and a female, several weeks prior to the election. They asked if I was interested in vote by mail. I told them that I would be voting in person on Election Day. Now, I'm going to assume Jomo is a conservative listening to me because very few liberals, one, listen to me, and very few liberals would write something this nice. So I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say Jomo is conservative. So they asked if I was interested in vote by mail. I told them that I would be voting in person on Election Day. Then it goes on to say, I can tell you, I never received a ballot by mail. Then, when I went to the precinct on election day, I ended up having to vote provisionally due to what seemed like a computer glitch. Not confident my vote counted like I wanted it to. Now, Jomo, you really brought up something very important. Because you see, in Maricopa, it's happened all across the U.S., in Maricopa, tens of thousands of people who showed up to vote in person were actually told, hmm, something's wrong here, you need to vote provisionally. Now, Jomo, you said, I... I, 
I can tell you, I never received my ballot by mail. When I went to the precinct on election day, I ended up having to vote provisionally due to what seems like a computer glitch. Not confident my vote counted like I wanted to. Well, Joe Ma, I'm going to use you to kind of prove a point here. In Maricopa County, tens of thousands of people went into the polls to vote in person. And when they got to the polls, they were told something was wrong. Now, when something's wrong, when you go into the poll, they technically don't stop your vote, but they give you what I call a smoke and mirror vote. And that smoke and mirror vote is a provisional ballot. You specifically said here in Georgia, you were given a provisional ballot. So that means something was wrong. Let me tell you what one of the top things in Maricopa was that forced people that walked in to say, mm, something's wrong, we got to give you a provisional ballot, you can vote this way. Now, a provisional means something's up with it, they're supposed to check it, but it does not mean you get to vote. It means if they deem it's okay later, you get to, they'll count your vote. It does not guarantee you fill out a piece of paper that looks like a ballot, but it's provisional. It doesn't mean it gets counted. You want to know what one of the top things was in Maricopa of why somebody was handed a provisional ballot just like you when they walked in? One of the top things in Maricopa was people would walk in to vote, and they were told, Sorry, we mailed you a ballot, and that ballot has already been returned voted. So on our books, you've already voted, and you can't vote twice. Think about that. Do you think most people would go into the polling station to vote if they already voted? Hell no. Hell no. And so a provisional vote is a way to hold your vote out. When I look at the numbers, I see I see by thousands of percent, thousands of percent, folks, the rejection rate over historic data for 20 years of saying, no, we mailed you a ballot. And you've already voted it. Sorry. Well, this is what happened in this canvas. One out of three people, when asked in person, did you vote? And they said, yes. I voted. I voted in person. One out of those three people were told, sorry, but we got a mail-in ballot for you. You want to know just exactly when you extrapolate out the numbers based on asking thousands of people how many potential votes vanished this way? 173,104 votes vanished that way. 173,104 votes vanished. 
As you might expect, the radical leftist elected with vast sums of George Soros' money, Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, has declared there was no fraud in the state's 2020 election. I say let the public see all the evidence and decide for themselves. Speaking of evidence, as President Trump's lawyer, former New York City mayor and prominent federal prosecutor Rudy Giuliani has said, there's significant evidence that Joe Biden is a criminal who, along with family members, has received millions of dollars from numerous foreign governments, including tens of millions from entities associated with the Chinese Communist Party. This evidence, as Giuliani said, cries out for investigation. But Biden is a Democrat and a prominent leftist politician, so the corrupt current regime in Washington is doing nothing about it, at least that I am aware of. I'd sure like to be proven wrong, but I'm not holding my breath. I believe that Biden is owned by the CCP like Nancy Pelosi. Maybe even worse. And was installed in the White House to weaken and ultimately destroy America so that it can eventually be taken over by communist China as part of that nation's stated goal of dominating the world in the next few decades. And the evidence is mounting that the CCP is well on its way to achieving that goal. That's it for another show. As always, we hope you found the content of interest and value. Look for us again in this same time slot two weeks from today. You can listen to a podcast of our show today once it's posted on the Jim Benson Show page at bbsradio.com. Enjoy the rest of your day and evening.